I don't think this report took into account the overall effect that the further divisive uh, demoralizing effect it's going to have on the people of Canada. Because I don't believe Canadians right now feel that accountability has been given to them for the actions of people that we put into power. Hello, folks, and welcome to Freedom Feature, and I'm your host, Barry Bussey. Uh, with me today, I have Tom Marazzo, who uh, was with us on our last program. Tom, thanks for staying with us. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. And and so just to uh, reiterate that point, is it's the, the government coercive nature and the the loss that people have faced as a result of the government's coercion that really yes. brought people to Ottawa. Yes. Yes. Absolutely is what it is. It's about the coercion. It's about the violation of our rights. And it's not just the charter rights. It's informed consent. Right. It is at the very least, it's the, the Nuremberg codes at the very mm -hmm. least. I mean, Canada is a signature to the Nuremberg codes and there's what about the privacy act? What about the criminal code of Canada? You know, there's so many things in legislation that are meant to protect the people of this country from the government. And that's, hey, if anything, uh, you've now got millions of, of uh, Canadians, myself included, that are armchair quarterback constitutional lawyers, <laughs> right? <laughs> that knew nothing two years ago, and now all of a sudden we're experts. Well, um, you know, I think... I think that's a good thing in the sense that uh, people are now waking up to the reality that as a country, we can no longer give government the benefit of the doubt. I think yes. one of the problems in this country has been Canadians gave deference to the government to go, because they felt that the government had their best interests at heart, their public interests and so forth. But now I think there's a, a very large, sizable community the prime minister may call them fringe minority, but they're hardly a fringe minority. Yes. There is this very strong group of people in this country now that have been awakened to the idea. You talk about woke. They have become woke to the idea that government may not necessarily have their best interests at heart. And yes. they need to be questioning government. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering, as we, as we look forward now, what would be your uh, thought after being involved in the in the convoy um, going through the commission seeing the report what would be the message that canadians need to keep in mind right now you know i've been thinking about that since the the report came out i'm, I'm not going to lie and say that i didn't have a very difficult weekend i at times didn't trust my own emotions about how i felt about this report I, I don't have an answer for you right now on that, and to tell you the truth, because I see another example in this country where the, the political elite are going to get away with it again. Mm -hmm. There will be no accountability. How many times has, has Trudeau been in front of the ethics commissioner and lost? Uh, how many scandals is he involved in? And yet he continues to survive. I don't know what the the answer is uh, because 
we were in a this this conundrum with the NDP and the liberal government creating this unholy alliance coalition government that gives Trudeau this de facto majority government, therefore completely blocking any attempts by the official opposition to do their job. The moment Jagmeet Singh is no longer blocking for the Liberal Party, like one man in this country, one man in this country, Jagmeet Singh, is holding this entire democratic process hostage for the people of Canada. The moment Jagmeet Singh's party turns on him and gets rid of him, then it will free up the opposition to maybe do some opposing. But until then, I think the Liberals have a lock on government and they can seem to do whatever they want with impunity. And the last thing I want to see in this country to happen is a violent reaction from the public. That is the last thing that I want to see. And as a, as a veteran, I'm not a combat veteran, but believe me, I understand how violence works. It's the last thing I want to see in this country. But if this government continues to get away with murder consistently and push the public to the breaking point, I think a convoy is going to be the least of their worries. And that's what I'm afraid of. And so this report, I don't think this report took into account the overall effect that the further divisive, uh, demoralizing effect it's going to have on the people of Canada. Because I don't believe Canadians right now feel that accountability has been given to them for the actions of people that we put into power. So I wish I had an answer and I, I'm not done looking. I just haven't found an answer yet, but it is weighing well, heavily you know, on my mind. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's a fair uh, concern to be honest with you, because it's certainly one that has crossed my mind as well, that at what point do people, if, if, if the government were to impose further uh, sanctions, but already now they have set the precedent that they can freeze bank accounts and so mm -hmm. forth. And if, the wider public who did not have, obviously, because there's only a relatively few in the country that had their bank accounts frozen. But now that Rubicon has been crossed and government now sees this, as Christopher Freeland uh, said in response to the Rouleau report, that this was a adequate uh, or an important uh, tool in order to end the convoy. So what's going to happen now? Is every time there's going to be a protest that the government disagrees with, because we recognize the prime minister said himself that, mm -hmm. hey, listen, I only support those protests that I agree with. And yeah. um, so, so is it now going to be the case that if there's further protests that the prime minister does not agree with, that individuals are going to be scanned by secret service personnel, the government is going to find out who's there at the protest, and then they're going to start freezing their accounts because they voiced an opinion against the prime minister? Like, is that where we're headed? I mean, the, the implications, the long-term implications here are very, very scary and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And we have seen multiple examples throughout history where people, you know, eventually come to the end of their ability to be patient with mm -hmm. government and its impositions against their freedom. And I think, I think government uh, has got to, to recognize that. And the, the struggle with a report that gives government the free pass on 
what is in essence, at least from my perspective, from my legal uh, training, my legal opinion, mm -hmm. the government did not reach the, the threshold here. There was no security threat. There was no mm -hmm. threshold whereby there was no authority for government to be able to end the uh, protests. We've already, as you pointed out, saw it in Coots and Windsor and so mm -hmm. forth uh, that ended those uh, protests. They could have easily done that in Ottawa, uh, but there was this chafing at the bit by the prime minister to get, for whatever reason, to get these emergency powers. This, this is just really unconscionable. And yes. one of the things that I would like to encourage Canadians at large is to say, hey, listen, we're not over this. And the fact that you are waking up to the reality of the imposition of such dictatorial powers by the prime minister at the stroke of a pen should uh, wake us all up to say, hey, who is it that we are going to be electing as prime minister in this country? We, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we still have the power of the vote. Now, there is there is also a reality that I think we need to be thinking about. And this is something that's causing me uh, some thinking in the last little while. And that is we, we have in this country an asymmetrical uh, alignment, as it were. So in other words, what I mean by that is an asymmetrical alignment of ideology. The ideology of the prime minister is in line with the ideology of I mean, I call them the chattering classes, but it's the it's the the media, uh, you know, the academics, uh, even uh, as we're seeing more and more with the decisions of the judiciary and so forth. Mm -hmm. There is this sense of a progressive, they call it a progressive mindset. And everything that the prime minister does, he's kind of like this chief spokesman of this ideological commitment that we see. And. The problem is, is that as time is going on, there's a there's a disconnect between that ideological commitment and the average worker, the uh, blue collar worker, the average Canadian, or just simply trying to live their lives. So there's a disconnect that uh, people we're seeing this an expansive disconnect, and mm -hmm. we saw that it seems to me with the trucker convoy. I've seen. Like, this is why, for example, if you notice, they were called racist by the prime minister. They were called, you know, the fringe minority and so forth. And and how are they racist? They're not racist. It's just a, a pejorative term that mm -hmm. is being used uh, because they have a different view of the world. And mm -hmm. that's not healthy in the long term. I'm so sorry for ranting on here, but it just... No, uh, I, uh, and, and I agree because I... Uh, you know, my belief about politics, and I ran as an Ontario Party candidate, uh, mm -hmm. Veterans for Freedom kind of cut me loose for the time I was campaigning. And, and I ran as a candidate specifically with the Ontario Party because the where I started looking at them was that they made a commitment not to have a party whip. So that means that every elected member of the Ontario Party would have been able to vote for the constituents' desires and your conscience, then the party. So your, your, your vote wasn't whipped to toe the party line. That's what attracted me to the party to begin with. But I believe as a representative, it is my job, it would have been my job if I'd have been elected to take the concerns of the constituents and vote for what they want, not to tell the constituents what they're getting, 
but to ask the constituents what they want and bring that desire to the vote. I'm voting on behalf of people. I'm not voting for them, you know, almost independently without any input from them. But what you're, what you're, I agree with what you're saying because I feel like society evolves in its own sort of direction. You know, morals and ethics of a society over time start to evolve. And to be the leader, the political leader, not the king or the queen, but to be the elected political leader, what you're doing is you're, you should be kind of riding the wave of what society's morals are starting to dictate. But what we're seeing with the government is that in a very, very short amount of time, he's not riding the wave of what the public wants. What he's doing is he's pulling the public in a direction that he wants. And that's the difference. He's not leading them where they're naturally going. He's yanking them, kicking and screaming. And, you know, to bring up further to this, digital ID, okay? And this ties to mm -hmm. really when you financially freeze people's bank accounts because you've already set the precedent for what you disagree that the public actually said. You've now given yourself all that, that precedent to do that. Let's introduce a digital ID. We see this big mm. drug deal that all of the premiers across the, the country just made with Trudeau to sign on to the digital ID in exchange for healthcare money. This is fundamentally flawed. This is disgusting. This terrifies me. This is the kind of stuff that will keep me up at night, knowing that after I've already had my bank account frozen once without any criminal charges, a warrant, or, or even being arrested, I had my accounts frozen because of the way I think, which is different from them. Now you're going to tie a digital ID to my very participation in society, which is only one further step removed from a social credit score. Right. So mm -hmm. everything about your life, you, they're building a, an electronic prison around your life. And if you step outside that wire, men, they're going to hammer you. They are going to hammer you. You will not be able to financially support yourself. You will be excluded from participating. You will, in fact, be excluded from purchasing some of the items that you want to have because your social credit score will be in violation of the policies that allow you to buy that. This is where it's all leading. And, you know, why is the government telling all the premiers, listen, you guys collect the taxes, give it to us. Then in exchange for us giving it back to you, you have to sign on to our digital ID program. That makes no sense. By the way, Quebec, Quebec is the only province that collects the tax, then remits it to the federal government, whereas all the provinces... Right. They, they have a flow through directly to the federal government. And I say every province should be saying, let's stop that practice right now. Provinces should collect the money, then negotiate with the government and decide what they want to give back to the federal government like Quebec does. It's the only provinces that collects their money first. And mm -hmm. I think we should be doing that in Ontario. This is how we take control of our own provincial sovereignty. This is how we push back against these, these ridiculous federal mandates of, of digital IDs. I don't want my, my information being shared. I share my private information according to the Privacy Act of Canada with who I want to share it with. And if it is shared, it is protected. And I need to know about it. And I need to know things like 
Who's going to have it? Who's going to destroy it? How long will you keep it? And where will you keep it to make sure that it's secure? I have a right as a citizen to all of that under the Privacy Act. So why is the government, the federal government, making a deal with the province, an extortive deal, saying, we're not giving you money for health care in your province from the money you've collected from your taxpayers. We're not giving it back to you unless you allow us to violate the Privacy Act. What the hell kind of planet do we live in right now? Mm. It's absurd. It's absurd. And we've already taken those little Indeed. micro steps to get there. Yep. I love the illustration that Jordan Peterson says that when it comes to our freedoms, government takes 10 steps, but then people rise up and they are upset with the government. But then the government takes two steps back, but they stay theirs. And then they yeah. take another 10 steps. So in other words, it's constantly advancing. Yes. And we've seen this. I, I've seen this with all kinds of situations over the last number of years. I've seen it with the, the Canada summer jobs issue and, and other issues. The government, when it gives money, it gives money to only those who are ideologically in line with them. I mean, this is unheard of. We've never, ever seen this kind of behavior before. Yes. But it's becoming now, it seems to me, it almost is like a, 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 a religious type of uh, requirement that if you want to be part of the church, and in this case, it's yes. the country, then you mm -hmm. must be ideologically in line with the great leader. And that yes. is so apparent to our understanding of a free and democratic society. Yes. And that is frightening. And, and even like when I was a teacher at Georgian College, I loved teaching. I, I felt some days I, I was so excited to get to work, to get to class and to teach. There is nothing that could motivate me to, even if they drop the COVID mandates for new hirees, I would still not go back into the public school system because I refuse to be subjected to this ideological disillusion, this dystopian garbage, this, this wokeism stuff that I think is so out of bounds for public education. I don't think that you have the moral authority or right to indoctrinate people in your school system who are either through publicly funded or, or funding through tuitions to indoctrinate people. They're paying you mm -hmm. to learn a skill. So if I'm a software teacher, I shouldn't have to deal with this woke stuff. Right. Okay. I should, this stuff should not enter my classroom. This stuff mm -hmm. should be your personal choice out of the classroom. You want me to teach you about software? I teach you software, but I shouldn't be forced to bring up this woke stuff that has no place in a classroom. You know, you, you send your children to school to learn reading, writing, and math. You shouldn't be talking to children about gender identity. Okay. They're there for skills. That is the parent's job in the public school mm -hmm. system to mm -hmm. deal with the social moral issues, pass on your ethics and values to your children. That is not your school teacher's responsibility and nor should it be pushed down by the board in private in concealment of the parents away mm. from their children that are in their legal uh, guardianship. But we're seeing this and it's such a, it's a, it's a perversion of what the education system is supposed to be about. Same thing is happening in the Canadian military right now. 
that is the managed decline of the Canadian military, where we're seeing instead of people going to ranges and learning how to fight and defend themselves, they're going into classrooms to learn about to learn about uh, pronouns. And you know, I watched an interview with a person uh, recently is a retired, highly decorated, highly experienced uh, member of the Canadian military that instead of doing his job, was going into classrooms and doing wokeism lectures. He's a tier one military unit. He was he was part of the team that has the world record for the longest sniper kill uh, in the world. And he was being taken out of training to go and do this wokeism stuff. It's happening across every single institution within our 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 country. Just try getting tenureship at a university right now. If you're not mm. getting down with the woke uh, ideology, you're not getting tenureship. You're not mm. getting a full-time hire. I did an interview when I was teaching just to teach a part-time class and I had to, to answer diversity questions. I'm, I was teaching, I was being asked to interview to teach math, but I had, I, I actually didn't get the job because I failed the diversity questions. Mm. I thought I was there to teach See, math. Yeah, exactly. And the the reality is many people may be looking on uh, right now and saying, hey, guys, you started out talking about the Rouleau report and now you're talking <laughs> yeah, about wokeism. But yeah. no, no, but I, here's where it's connected. And I think this is where I think we, we need to, as it were, close the loop. And the loop is this, is that because we are living in a time where there's asymmetrical ideological conformity, from the prime minister through all of the various institutions now of government, the prime minister's ideology has, and, and it's not just him, it's just that he's the representative of this, but all of those ideological commitments have now permeated throughout the Canadian uh, government, the bureaucracy, the institutions, mm -hmm. everyone that's receiving government money is uh, in, in essence, being indoctrinated in this new ideology. And they're having to make ideological commitments. In the same way now, here's the problem. Because you have to accept this new ideological commitments or this new ideology, you now are going to be giving your uh, digital ID to government. Government now is going to say and have the ability, oh, you got a different opinion than us. Well, let's see if we freeze your bank accounts because mm -hmm. uh, you no longer agree with us like they did with the truckers. And this mm -hmm. is why it's so dangerous. And this is why, unfortunately, Justice Rouleau did not appreciate, in my view, the broader implication of what the trucker convoy uh, actually meant to the average Canadians who took part in that protest. This yeah. was this was a protest, as you so rightly point out. It was not just simply the issues of these mandates and all of this. It was government coercion. Anytime the government does not allow the individuals to operationalize the rights that they have that is innate in them by just being, and the government doesn't give us rights, the government is to protect our rights, not to abuse our rights. So anytime yeah. government takes away that ability of us to be able to live out our life in accordance with uh, those basic fundamental human rights, we then have a situation like the truckers' protest. And that's what it was about. It was about 
people's rights being violated by a government whose ideological commitments were totally disconnected from the average person. Yes. And, you know, another thing is people in this country protested for two full years. Every weekend went into all the major cities. They went into Toronto. They were protesting for two years, two years. Nothing changed. Nobody mm -hmm. listened. There was no dialogue. It had no impact on the trajectory of every provincial in the federal government. Nothing changed. So they went to Ottawa and they said, that's enough. And I'm sorry for the citizens of Ottawa, the residents of Ottawa, but you chose to live in your nation's capital where the deciding group of politicians in this country are having a national impact. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you live in Ottawa. You know, we did everything we could to try to relieve the pressure on the residents, but it doesn't seem to appear that they understand. And I'm, and I'm saying the ones that are, you know, really, really against the convoy uh, because we had yeah. several, several people from Ottawa support the convoy. Yeah, but in fact, like, I, I remember walking the streets. Yeah, and and uh, I would ask people where they're from, and they said they're from Ottawa. But I'm just yeah. here to support the truckers. So we, yeah. we didn't hear so much from them, uh, we but did. we heard from those who were against the the yeah. truckers. Yeah, and you know, every here's the thing that the the biggest shocker for me, biggest shocker, and I spoke about it already, but the biggest shocker for me was that from the very beginning. Not one elected official, like counselor, uh, not one staffer, the police at every level, you know, uh, mm -hmm. municipal, provincial, and even federal police, nobody wanted to talk to us. But there is an exception. The OPP, Inspector Bowden, wrote an engagement plan, and it was briefed to Trudeau's cabinet and at, in the evening it, he recommended that they have a dialogue with us he recommended it mm. made it all the way up to Trudeau and the next day they invoked the emergency act even the law yeah. enforcement like so there's a difference between elected officials and non-elected officials the true public servants my perspective was most of the public servants actually did want to engage in dialogue, but everybody who was elected didn't want to. But the leadership of the, a lot of the police agencies didn't really want to engage too much either. So it was this frustration I had listening to the testimony. It's like, just talk to us. We came here to talk to you guys and you refused to talk to us mm. at every level. It was, it was mind boggling. So, mm. and you know, True fact, the highest ranking person we ever dealt with during the entire convoy from the police was a sergeant, okay, with one exception, Inspector Drummond attended a meeting with the city manager and a bunch of members of the board. That's the highest ranking person we ever spoke to. One time in a meeting co-chaired by the city manager, but all the other times we ever met was from a police sergeant. You've got the largest protest in Canadian history show up on your door and the highest ranking person you give them is a sergeant with no authority to do anything but pass messages. Yeah. That was the level of respect that we were afforded by, by our elected representatives. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a, um, 
it's certainly an indictment on this country, and it's an indictment on uh, what people have experienced. And I think the fact that we have yet again another report uh, that has, in essence, whitewashed the the government's actions in this matter mm-hmm. uh, will create a lot more uh, frustration for a lot of people, I'm sure. But I do think, at least in this country, we still have the power of the ballot, and mm-hmm. it's up to each and every one of us to make sure that we use that. And so far, at least right now, we still have the ability to speak. Although, uh, Tom, we may want to come back another time and talk about uh, what's going on now with that, with the government's regulation. We'll see what happens when the government starts regulating more of the Internet, because who knows, maybe. It's almost there. It's almost there. And uh, folks, I tell you, if there's ever a time for us to be speaking out about what's happening right now, it is now, because in a very short period of time, it does appear that the prime minister is going to get his way as well in controlling who can say what with respect to the internet. So that's that's uh, another thing. Tom, it's been so awesome to have you here with us to talk about this. And there's so much more to talk about. And I certainly want to thank you. And I do hope that you will come back again Yes, and speak absolutely. to us as we uh, as we traverse this country, as we traverse our history. We are living in exciting times, and you know we're here. For, I think in many ways for such a time as this. So thanks a lot, Tom. Is there any final word that you would like to share with the viewers? I just want to sort of reiterate what I I saw on a press conference yesterday with Tamara. Uh, she said basically, "Don't lose hope. Just don't lose hope. We're we're not done. We're not done yet." So I don't know what it looks like, but don't lose the hope. We can still turn this around. We just have to not be, not have a failure of our imagination. We can still somehow pull this out. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Okay, thanks, Barry. So I want to thank you, our viewers, uh, for being with us. You may not agree with the opinions expressed on this program by me or by my guests, but I want to thank you for being with us because we're concerned with open, honest, and transparent dialogue. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca